This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And today we've got an interesting program for you. Really excited. We always do. We always do. Yeah, we've got um, Kim Little from Smallworks, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyone who's not familiar with Smallworks, um, they're a company that specializes in basically building laneway and coach homes in Vancouver. And I think they're one of the biggest, if not the biggest in Vancouver. They they tend to... uh, their signage is everywhere at least well yeah their signage is everywhere and as kim said they uh the owner of small work started the company four years before uh the city even approved um right right laneway houses in the first place so he was at the really the cutting edge back in 2005 of the uh the movement towards smaller spaces so they had a head start. So we'll, we'll talk to Kim, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about zoning and what's required to actually build a laneway home, also about their process and um, the types of, types of ways that they walk you through uh, building, building a laneway or a coach house. Um, another just quick in- interesting tidbit about, about uh, the laneways is just how much rent they get. I mean, she yeah. was talking about um, just huge rent numbers for people that for two bedrooms and not a ton of square footage. And when you start to think about how much it costs to build, and she was saying that usually it's around the three hundred thousand yeah. dollar range. I mean, try and find a, a condo for three hundred thousand in the Lower Mainland that's that going to rent for twenty five hundred dollars a yeah. month, right? I mean, so um, so it seems like a pretty good investment. So we'll talk to Kim. 
And then maybe just before that, Matt, we were going to talk a little bit about the stats and kind of what's going on in the uh, in the market right now. Yeah, well, the June stats came out, um, and you know the the market's still really busy. But w- we were just talking before we we turned on the mics here about the the changing landscape of Vancouver real estate, and I think first it, in as, the media at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody everybody who follows Vancouver real estate has probably noticed there's been a perceptible shift from you jerk realtors <laughs> realtors villain, uh, villain the villain realtor. the villain realtor um to the sky is falling doom and gloom um you know here comes the big crash uh you know billionaire from california calling shorting uh, right. shorting uh, banks and everything else in canada because the real estate market's gonna crash so yeah we want to just talk about that yeah no for sure and, you know, when you actually read some of these articles, I mean, it, we'll talk a little bit about maybe what the media is suggesting and then also kind of what we're seeing on the ground level. Yeah, exactly. Um, the market does feel different right now. Yeah. And it, the difference, uh, at least in my mind, I mean, we've been talking to quite a few agents uh, in different markets around the lower mainland. I think everyone's kind of feeling the same way. Uh, but it's... It's just not as the pace is not as frenetic. That's for sure. So um, a shift from maybe white hot to still hot, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the way I would I would read it. I mean, we were just saying, you know, we had a, a townhome that went for a hundred k over asking last yes, night. Last night, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's still very very busy. Yeah, I had a client lose out on a multiple offer situation on Monday. I did last week as well. It's, yeah, it's, so it's still the market is still is still very very active and very competitive for buyers. Um, but it's not quite you know when it was seven to nine offers, it might be two or three. You know, right. I think that's kind of the difference. And and there's no doubt that some inventories. Uh, sitting a little bit longer for sure yeah, i was talking to a woman and a uh, realtor in north van yesterday who said yeah we have three homes that have been all on the market for three weeks and we're thinking about price reductions and, and they're all detached right single family homes and she yeah. couldn't she couldn't believe it and uh you know i think that's that's uh points to a larger trend especially in single family homes in the in the lower mainland and so maybe one thing to first address is just the media and how the media is handling things so basically what the media is doing right now is looking for experts to talk about why they think that the market's uh, crashing maybe not you know you were saying some hedge fund people and and that sort of thing investors trying to get their read on the market so they're people that don't operate in the Vancouver real estate market they're right. also people that um, have most of them have called for a huge correction within recent years that just hasn't hasn't come well, to well, fruition. Was, right? Yeah, not the uh, the the one hedge fund uh, guy who retired after after correctly calling the crash in two thousand eight. I believe there's another guy who I'm blanking on exactly his who he is, but he's he manages a hedge fund. He's shorting uh, Vancouver real estate as well. The banks and everything else surround that are involved in Vancouver real estate, but he did so three years ago apparently same so same so yeah it's like hey if you do it enough times you might be right <laughs> right right so but and and one of the the stats that i'm seeing kind of thrown around is is this shift in the sales ratio so um you know we we look at sales ratios in conjunction with um you know the real estate board stats kind of charting capital appreciation over time watching the price index 
Um, sales ratios, if you're not familiar with sales ratios, it's, it's basically monitoring the amount of sales based on the amount of inventory. Um, to, to give you a sense, um, a balanced market where sellers and buyers would be on equal footing would be somewhere between about 15 to 20%. Um, that would mean that about 1.5 to about two homes out of 10 would be selling in that type of a market. And that would mm-hmm. mean that, you know, you might be able to negotiate a fairly, uh, you know, it's not, it, it's not weighted towards buyers. It's not weighted towards sellers, right? Right. It's, it's kind of more even footing. Um, there, there was a stat that just was released in, in, um, for the, for the June stats that showed 59% sales ratios for the detached homes market, which meant that there was 26, 2,618 listings and there were only 1,555 sales. The sky's uh, falling. <laughs> well, it's, it suggests 59% sales ratio. So, so six out of 10, basically, basically six out of 10. Homes. Yeah. Six out of 10 homes are still selling. So it's, it's hardly, um, you know, it, it's hardly suggestive of a chaotic, uh, correction here. Um, there's still, you know, I, I don't think anyone would read that as, uh, as the sky's falling, but it, it is something where, you know, we are noticing that there is definitely been an increase in inventory yeah, and we've seen that. So one of the markets that we follow very closely is the East Vancouver market. Um, in June, 2016, there were 386, uh, listings, total inventory on the market. Um, and and now in June 2016, this year, we're looking at 553. Um, and there seems to be about 60 new listings or so over recent months. So there's an in- increase of new inventory coming. So that's a, a line increasing. And, and we're still above over the inventory that was last year. So yeah. so there's there's definitely more inventory in the market. So in, in certain segments... Um, that, you know, we haven't really checked on, on areas like North Vancouver, but, um, I'm assuming that inventory seems to be from people we're talking to increasing all over. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, another stat here for the West side, single family homes in, in 2015, uh, 236 homes sold in, in June and last month it was down to 153 sales. So that's a drop of uh, about 35%. So in, just in terms of activity over on the west side, uh, we're seeing a bit of a decline. So changing contours in the market for sure. Um, but yeah, like it's, you know, you read, a, you read the skies falling and then you look at that sales ratio of 59% and, uh, um, you know, it's still, still very active. Still a very active market. So maybe just to touch on a few reasons why we're seeing some shifts in the market. So in touching on some of the reasons why we might see this increase in inventory and maybe um, a, a slight slowdown in the amount of actual sales. Um, so one is that there's always a disconnect between what the general public knows as prices versus what's actually happening in terms of sales prices, right? Mm-hmm. So because the general public doesn't have access to sold prices, yeah, you know, you might not know that in a market that's been increasing over time that your pro- your property is worth 1.5, you might think it's still worth 1.2. Yeah, you you know your you know your house is worth a lot of money. You just might not know exactly how much. How much? And you, and often we talk to people that have a general general idea but then are are surprised when we we give the analysis of hey this is what we think you can get for your property and 
pleasantly surprised, I should say. Always a, a bit of a lag behind of people realizing. So there's been like zero inventory, and it seems right now that people are starting to learn what their what the homes around them are selling for, and that could be a, a potential cause for a, a reaction of more inventory to hit the market. Right. right, people trying to cash out essentially. Also reflective of that is the pricing strategies that people are using. Whereas you know stuff used to be if your place was worth two dollars, you'd come on the market at ninety nine cents in a lot of cases and let let the market kind of dictate now we're seeing a lot of people kind of coming around market value or even a little bit high testing the market um, that's particularly true in uh, in the detached market where where now the pricing strategy seems to have shifted from from kind of lower bait prices mm-hmm. to uh, more moderate pricing strategies or even um, you know testing the market prices yeah. and then uh, you know uh, potentially having to reduce uh, and I think that speaks to the nature of this shifting market that there's, you know, say February into March, there was um, such a confidence amongst right. realtors and sellers that, hey, look, we can put this on for a buck and uh, it's still you're still going to get well over what you think it's worth because there's going to be it's just so crazy now i think that confidence is is wavering in that hey if we put it on for 9.99 we're not necessarily going to get one six and then we might be in a precarious position where we have to go back to the drawing board cancel the listing come back on at one six right right and we look like maybe there's people that are turned off by that kind of an approach well yeah i mean it's it's uh it makes everyone look a little bit foolish, so right. Um, so yeah, that's the. I think that shift in pricing strategy is is suggestive of of this changing market. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, we should make a quick note about uh, just markets in August and you know midsummer, July in general, right? So kids yeah. are now out of school. Families are going on vacation. Hey, I'm leaving uh, tomorrow. You're leaving tomorrow. I'm I'm not. <laughs> but but we've we've often seen uh, you know August and December as months where we see a bit of a, a lull in the market, right? Right. And I well, I was going to say that I think you know last year if if somebody's charting uh, how this sort of takeoff in Vancouver real estate in the last year, year and a half, it really comes down to that January 2015 with oil prices dropping. And by last summer, when you usually see that decline, it 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 was it was like the train was just getting going and really chugging right. along, right? So I think actually comparing June and July s- stats from last year with this year are, are potentially not be that useful because we might just be entering this sort of normal standard summer here where people slow down um focus on life not real estate right? yeah yeah so yeah so i guess the the uh the the read on the market in general is is not necessarily that there's you know it, it's very early days um mm-hmm. we're noticing that uh that the detached market not necessarily the attached market seems to be stalling slightly yeah, I mean, and that that should be uh, said. One is one month doesn't make a trend, um, mm-hmm. so it's it's definitely early days. Um, it's a summer, and uh, condos and townhomes still seem to be operating largely as as they were a couple months back. But with that said, single family homes have been the driving 
force in the market, right? right. And I think this shift is uh, is an interesting one, and we'll we'll definitely keep you updated. So maybe what we should do then we're we're almost uh, we're past ten minutes in, so maybe we'll cut to our interview with Kim Little. Yeah, excellent interview where you're going to learn a ton about laneway homes and coach homes, and who better to speak to it than Smallworks? Well, yeah, and it's uh, hey, if you're not sold on a laneway home after this. I don't know what uh, what's going, what it's going to take. take. <laughs> All right, so enjoy, guys. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Kim Little, small house specialist from Smallworks. Hi, Kim. How you doing? Hi, Matt. Hi, Adam. I'm good. Thanks. Good, good. So, Kim, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I started with uh, Small Works back in probably about 2009 when the laneway bylaw first came in. Um, I do sort of head up their sales department now, um, uh, having a background in real estate and rentals. Prior to that, I had kind of an interesting background going into this new form of small housing that came to Vancouver and, and what you could do with it. Oh, excellent. Excellent. So Small Works is the company that you work for. Can you tell us a little bit about Small Works? Yeah, so Smallworks Laneway Housing Incorporated was actually incorporated in 2005. The interesting thing is that there was no such thing as a laneway bylaw until 2009. But uh, the the founder of Smallworks, Jake Fry, used to do large home uh, builds and renovations. And it was one, one of those projects that he kind of looked down and saw these interesting little courtyards that he envisioned um, working way up on a, a, a big house and imagining, you know, if you had these little outbuildings, um, how you could create these really nice outdoor courtyard areas and, and outside rooms. He started the company and then became very active in advocating for this type of housing and perhaps even coining the term, um, I'm not sure, laneway house. But the bylaw came in in 2009. Prior to that, we were just building outdoor dining rooms, artist studios, whatever we could do in that backyard space. Uh, and eventually when the bylaw came in, we were allowed to do full kitchens and, um, you know, basically attached dwelling units. So, so you've kind of just touched on it there, Kim, but can we get a, a better sense of exactly what a laneway house is uh, for our listeners? Sure. Yeah. I mean, a, a laneway house, there's various different uh, names for them, but basically a laneway house is a detached secondary suite. So it's a self-contained dwelling in the back, kind of 26 feet of a yard. Now, in Vancouver, they called it a laneway house. It really is just semantics. In On the North Shore, they'll call it a coach house, and it's the exact same thing. The bylaws are slightly different in each municipality. Um, it, just to make it super confusing, Vancouver has now called coach houses uh, as an infill development when it's done on a different type of zoning. So in, in the city of Vancouver, you can find a laneway house, which would be a rental-only sitting on an RS zoned or a family, uh, single family dwelling uh, zoned lot. And you can find a coach house, which would be on an RT or a, a kind of a duplex zoned lot, which at that point could actually be strata titled. Um, but that same word coach house, if you cross the bridge and went to the North Shore, would be similar to a laneway house where it is just a, a detached secondary suite that's just rental only. So to be clear then, so laneways cannot actually, if they're on the RS zoning, they cannot be stratified. They cannot be stratified currently, absolutely. Now, can they be sold? Here's where we get into a whole new concept of ownership, trying to make Vancouver affordable. You can do something called co-ownership. So you're not actually buying a specific 
strata because we're not allowed to strata title that that uh, second home. But what you can do is enter into a legal agreement um, and two parties or more um, could buy that property together. And by contract, they could clearly state the area that they are going to own, what part of taxes they will pay, what part of uh, maintenance and all that they will contribute. And that contract is then basically attached to your your title. So you co-own the property uh, in a similar way that many, many years ago people did when they first sort of started to get into the market. Yeah, we've actually talked about um, on other episodes about affordability and and uh, entering into these types of agreements. That's really interesting. Um, basically, uh, stratifying the property yourselves through through the contract. It's kind of yeah. It's like creating a de facto strata while not actually strata titling it because that's not allowed. Right, right, right. So who is who's building laneway homes? Can you give us a sense of kind of the demographic that you're seeing? Absolutely. We've seen a change in that. I mean, originally it was very heavily on the west side. That's where the, the property, that's where the equity, you know, sat. And uh, we were seeing at that point about 30% rental, maybe 30% family solutions and about 30% kind of other, whether it be somebody that's got, um, you know, a, wanted a dance studio convertible to, to having a, a friend come and visit, things like that. Now I'm seeing a big a change, and we're pushing more to that rental component as the the rental uh, return on these homes are incredible. Um, for instance, small works uh, properties, they're a little bit higher end. They're nicely finished. They've got great radiant in-floor heat, which is very desirable as a, <clears throat> as a home. Right. And because it's this rental, it's a detached little home in an existing neighborhood, whereas entry-level housing is typically a basement suite or it's a condo way up in a kind of a very urban setting people want that kind of neighborhood feel Mm -hmm. so the rental rates on these we're seeing uh jumping to you know three thousand on the west side and about 2400 per month on the east side so that's changed the dynamic i'd say uh, probably about 45 percent of my clients are building this to to rent out to have that cash flow um some put it on a line of credit so they've got more cash flow coming in every month. Others put it on a shorter mortgage because they want to pay it off sooner. So it kind of depends on your financial situation. Um, we're also seeing people that are building them to be able to buy the property in the first place. Uh, that's also been sort of this last year when the prices have gone up exponentially. Um, people that maybe thought that they could get a home for $1.5 million were now pushing themselves to get into the market at at one seven one eight. So they actually tried to extend that and, and borrow more, put in the laneway house, because now they're going to get basically double that uh, return back mm-hmm. to help them pay for their original mortgage. Um, typically, if the house is around $300,000, $350,000, it's going to cost you about 1500 a month to um, pay that mortgage. And if you're getting 2500 or 3000 a month rent, it, it just makes sense. Right, right, right. Um, the other component, though, if the, of the 45% that were rental is the family solutions. I would say that was our big instigator for sure. We were allowing families to stay longer together. Mm-hmm. So whether it be aging parents, we build them a nice little one level in the backyard, uh, or whether it be children who grew up maybe on the west side and now could only afford to live out in Langley, and the parents had their home and said, you know what, I'd rather have access to my grandkids. I'd rather let them build their little home in the backyard and I get to see them once in a while. So we had a lot of that happening. Um, and then the, the balance is probably 
people that think, I'm going to retire early. I'm going to rent out my main house. I'm going to build my little dream home, small, get rid of all my clutter, downsize, and uh, yeah, lock the door, know that there's somebody on the property and go travel. So you guys do, it sounds like you do all types of, of laneway homes, but are they all customized for each individual or are there some that you can, you know, if you're looking for a, something a little bit cheaper, like it, how does that work? Well, that's a really good question. It started out when this bylaw first came in, we could only do 12% of your lot area. Um, and then we had to have this garage component that took up about 220 square feet. So I would meet clients and I would basically point at the different corners and say, would you want your kitchen here, here, or here? Because there was so little room within that d- bylaw to, to have innovative design. Right. Um, we, we had the famous problem of lot, lack of parking and the conversion of these garages into a uh, living space. And so the city rightly addressed it and said, you know, how can we fix this? Um, we were part of that sort of team that went to discuss possible solutions at the time. And they came up with kind of a win-win where we allow this parking spot to, to, to exist in perpetuity now. It's an open, uncovered, 10-foot-wide parking spot. that It's basically a setback you can't build on. In exchange, we can now build 16% of the lot area. So now we have a, a more usable home because that, that 220 square feet, we can put where we want it instead of having this long rectangle garage. Hmm. Um, so what that did was it allowed us to go to a full-fledged architect and really custom design each home based on the view corridors where their west light is, their morning light, um, if there's any trees that we want to save, um, really taking each property into consideration. Uh, having said that, we've done about 120 homes now. So if if I meet somebody and they're on a 33 by 122 and they have a big tree in the middle of the yard, I've probably met five people like them before. So what our architect can do is is bring some sample ideas to get the, the conversation started. So rather than starting with a blank piece of paper, we're starting with some ideas that we then change around and customize based on the needs of uh, our client. Um, in terms of cost, the design doesn't really impact the cost that much. Um, you know, unless you're going with crazy finishing materials, mm-hmm. it's a small variance, uh, you know, based on what customization we do in the design. So this kind of leads to um, a lot of pe- a lot of our listeners, especially if they are homeowners and they 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 have a detached house, they're going to be wondering who's eligible to build a laneway or a coach house. What are kind of the, some considerations? Well, the big one is your zoning. So you need to be in an RS zone, which is a single family zone. Now, the irony is that there's a lot of single family homes that are actually sitting on duplex zoned or RT properties. They're not eligible, which seems kind of contrary, but it's just a different type of development. This particular laneway is for an RS zone. Uh, some zones that are RM can be converted uh, or basically like equivalencies are taken and they can become an RS. So we, we can look at some RM zone, but basically across the board, any RS, one, two, four, any of them, six, seven are eligible. The big thing you want to make sure is that you meet the clearances of the bylaw. So you want to have at least about 39 feet from the back wall of your house to the start of the alley. That will give us clearance for a backyard and enough space to have a really nice habitable home back there. Uh, And the second thing is on one side of the main house that exists, we want to have a three-foot wide 
walkway. And what that is, it's a fire access path so that if there was a garbage truck in the back lane and the fire crews couldn't get there, they could park at the front street and access that home that's located on the lane. So, okay, and that's only on one side of the house that you need the three-foot clearance. That's right, just on one side, yeah. Okay. And so, and I mean, we have clients, um, sorry, sometimes somebody may have a fireplace pop out or something. As long as we've got clearance about 12 feet up in the air, we're good. Oh, okay. And do you actually have to have a lane off of the back of your house or can you have a lane off the side of your house? Does that affect things? Yeah, you do need, um, you do need to be on a lane in Vancouver. Okay. Um, in, on the North Shore, uh, in the District of North Van, if you're over 10,000 square feet, you do not. Um, in West Van, you also do not need a lane. Um, it's certainly easier uh, if you have them uh, for access, uh, building, and setbacks, but it's not a requirement. Some corner lots in Vancouver, if we go through the border variance, you'd probably be eligible because instead of a lane, you have two fronting, you know, basically front streets. Um, but that does require a little bit of an extra step. And just quickly, while we're talking about, when we were talking about earlier about the amount of rental that you can get, are these typically two beds or one beds? What are what are you seeing more often? <clears throat> yeah, most people want to have, if not a two-bedroom, you know, a one-bedroom and den, a little bit of that office space or kind of a rec room or a little, uh, we like to call it flex room. I would say that's probably the most desirable. On the 50-foot lot, we can actually build just under a thousand square feet. So that is a really nice two bedroom plus flex space home. Um, so we have done some one bedrooms though. Yeah. That would really appeal to a young family. I would imagine. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I don't want to call them millennials, but this new generation um, that really just walks around uh, with an iPhone and a tablet, they don't carry around all the stuff and clutter and knickknacks that generations before had. So much easier for them to downsize, and a, a thousand square feet is is huge for them. So, uh, can you speak a little bit about the cost, and and more importantly, uh, for our listeners uh, who own homes, uh, does this add value? You know, it does. It doesn't in, in some different ways. Um, the main one that we see. Well, let me address the cost question first. Um, typically, the the different components to add to the total project cost would be. You've got your permit fee, which is about anywhere from twelve to twenty thousand to the city of Vancouver. Your design fee, in our case, would include your survey, design, engineering, working drawings, landscape plan. Basically, all that work to get your permit is fifteen thousand. Then you have your actual build cost. Now, if the house was floating in the air, um, funny enough, if it was five hundred square feet or if it was a thousand square feet, it's probably only about thirty or forty thousand dollars difference in total cost just because it is this condensed home mm-hmm. that to make it larger and have those big open spaces, all we need is a bit more flooring, some two by fours, maybe one more window. Um, the expensive stuff is all in there. So it really is condensed, but quite easily that cost is going to be anywhere from say 200 to 240,000 floating in the air. And now we need to put that down on the site. So depending on the topography, if we have to build retaining walls, how much excavation, uh, where do we connect to the services, the sewer? How deep is it? Um, that tr- kind of trenching and backfill. That cost, I would say, ninety percent of the time is probably going to be between forty and fifty thousand. Landscaping, you want to have probably about ten thousand left to do a parking spot, um, a nice little ten by ten patio, some planting, grass seed fencing, just so you're not left with a construction site. 
Mm-hmm. So if you add it all up, you're probably going to be somewhere in the range of, in terms of build cost, you know, 290000 to maybe 330000 Right, right, right. And then there is GST, which is um, 5% on the build cost. And small works, uh, I would assume, walks somebody through this entire process. Yes. So what we do is we start with a conversation like this. I come to your house. I take a look at what you're eligible for. I would have some sample ideas of, of what we could do. I would listen to what we're, what we're looking for in the house. I mean, we've done kind of a tack shop for horses in, in a workshop area for one home. We did an Indian dance studio uh, as a side part of another home. I mean, these are really customized solutions. Um, so when I hear it's a rental or I hear it's for family use or an aging family member, um, I might give them some ideas of what we can do. Mm-hmm. We have that discussion. Uh, once they commit, they, I take them to uh, I take them a little tour. We, we're building about three homes a month, so I have usually a nice repertoire of different designs that I can show them to, to make, let them walk through and get the feel of what that's going to look like in their backyard. And then we, um, we sign a design agreement, we order the survey, and our architect comes and we start the design. Once that design is to the point where it can go into the city for permitting, which unfortunately is taking about seven or eight months right now. <laughs> I was just going to say Adam's up, in that process right now as well. It's uh, taking a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It's, it's a bit frustrating. Um, but while that's happening, we can do two things at the same time. You would meet with our interior decorator or designer, and you would now choose in advance all the finishings that you want. So we actually give you samples of flooring, uh, lighting, siding, roofing, uh, appliances, uh, fixtures, window coverings, absolutely everything going into that house. And you would then be able to choose it, and we would price it out. So by the time you actually sell sign a um, construction contract with us, you know the price to the penny that your home is going to cost, which I believe is probably one of the main reasons that we're the number one laneway house builder is, I mean, I'm sure you've all heard of these nightmares in construction where you get quoted an amount and as you start building, the budget goes up and up and up and before you know it, you're way over budget and you don't have the funds to finish. That can never happen with us because you actually know and sign the exact fixed price before we actually dig the hole. Hmm. Uh, and then, of course, once we got the permit, we start building. Typically, within about two weeks of the permit in our hand, we can start construction. We have the beauty of a factory where we can prefab the walls, just the panels themselves, um, keep keeping it dry, off-site, and we can do the foundation at the same time. goes quicker, less noise for all the neighbors. Uh, while we're doing the foundation, the walls are being done in, in the factory. Then they get trucked to the site, and we pop them all up, nail them together, and now we do craft building on-site. So it's kind of a marriage between prefab and on-site construction. Wow. Uh, kind of bringing the best of both worlds. So I guess that would limit noise uh, if, you're, if you're basically getting yeah. this. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we really recognize this is somebody's home they're coming to at the end of every day and, and, and every weekend. So it's not like we clear-cut the lot and start from scratch. People are living there, and we're in established neighborhoods. So we're mm-hmm. very conscious of keeping the site spotless and clean so that you don't come home from a, a busy work day seeing garbage everywhere and there's a whole bunch of noise and um so we we do it relatively quickly i would say our homes are up in about five and a half to six months uh at that point we can give you the key so it, just um 
sounds like timeline five six months you got to do the permitting from the day they contact a person contacts you to when they receive the keys do you have a, a general sense of how long that takes yeah we've had some fluctuation in that i would say it used to be eight to nine months i would say safely now i'm telling people count more like 12 to 14 as huh. in now I, I we, we signed the design agreement and now I'm actually moving in in the keys and it's mine. We like to give a couple of weeks there to uh, to go over any deficiencies and you know just basically test everything out in the home. Um, so by the time you're moving in with furniture, I would say be safe at 14 months. And if things are going pretty easily and smoothly, uh, maybe a year. And is there any kind of warranty or anything that you guys provide new homeowners? Yes, it's the full new home warranty, which is 2510 right. on all the, the components as well. We have kind of a, a bumper-to-bumper warranty. The beauty of the fact that this is all we do is it's really important um, for us that, that our clients are happy. Um, we have open houses every month, and, and many of our past clients come and chat to new clients at these open houses. And so we have kind of a community going on. So we definitely take care of people right through and beyond. So we've had issues where maybe the warranty, something happened with a fridge. Uh, it was on warranty, but instead of having the client have to deal with that warranty and deal with getting the new fridge, we just handled that for them because obviously they took us because we were full service in the first place. So we do keep uh, taking care of people right through. Great, great. So finally, um can you talk a little bit, I mean, do you see small works as part of a, a larger movement uh, towards living in smaller spaces? I think I know the answer to this, uh, but this idea yeah. of the tiny houses. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, if you saw some of the requests I get, it's been really fun. Everything from, you know, will you build me a little tree house in India to, um, you know, can you build me a little home on wheels? I want to travel through the States, but, you know, I only have a four by six uh, trailer or something. Um, definitely people, often people just call and they'll call from all over the U S as well. And they just want to talk about it. What are you doing? I just, I just saw your website and I love your designs and, and I want to do something like this, but where do I start? And it is, it's a really passionate movement. It says we've got to do something different. These 7,000 square foot homes are, they're not just ugly. They're, they're just awful on the environment and, and, and they don't serve any real purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, these little homes, if they're done well, I mean, if you extend it onto communities and you say, let's let's put a whole bunch of these little laneways in you know, on a property and, and have a pocket neighborhood where maybe we share share the inner courtyard and we all have a better lifestyle. We're not all mowing the lawn right next to each other. We can all use that same lawn. And so it really is a whole new movement. And I think the next generation is going to take it even further. Um, but for sure, we're part of that. Um, we are very vocal. We speak to a lot of groups. Um, I've taken tours even for Quest University students before. Um, it's it's on the radar. I think everybody knows that this is the right thing to do, um, especially even different provinces that are now contacting us saying we want to hear more about you know what you're doing in Vancouver because we hear it's a it's a it's a big success. And that's not just the laneway house movement, but even just building smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the full on, uh, micro loft, that's going to take a little while, I think, to embrace. It takes a certain type of person that can live in such a small space, but it's, it's creating a lot of creative ideas in terms of furniture that, you know, uh, 
kind of convertible into different things. So a bed would turn into a desk. And, and so it's, it's spinning off a whole different kind of industry on its own. Perfect. Well, maybe that's a good place to leave it. And Kim, how can people get a hold of you? Well, they can contact us through their website, um, www.smallworks.ca. They could happily email me directly. My name is Kim at smallworks.ca. And uh, if they go to our website, there's a little button there, uh, join the open house invite list, and uh, they can click that, and we will send them a personalized invite to any open house that we have. Typically, we do one every month, and that's a nice way to get to know us is very informal setting, home is completely finished and staged and they can walk around and get a feel for it. Perfect. Well, Hey Kim, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thanks for the time, Kim. No problem. Thanks for getting the word out there. Excellent. Have a great day. Okay. See you later. Bye-bye. And there you have it folks. Our conversation with Kim Little. If you didn't know anything about Laneway Homes before listening to that interview, I, I would imagine you learned a lot. I mean, I, I learned a lot. Yeah. I mean, two things that stick out to me. One, the investment potential, as you, as you mentioned earlier. And, and two, Laneway Homes or smaller homes uh, as one of the approaches to the challenge of affordability here in the lower mainland. For sure. And I think, you know, an interesting point she made about just even from an environmental perspective, yeah. it doesn't make sense to to have these, you know, 30,000 square foot homes in Shaughnessy anymore. And, and people are definitely, especially millennials from the sounds of things, are wrapping their minds around smaller spaces. Yeah. It seems to be really on trend and HGTV and all that other stuff. I, I was going to say, my, 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 wife, my wife watches a show about small homes. Um, right. Yeah. So, so there you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> As indicated by your wife. Yeah. Now she's really got her finger on the pulse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, luckily she doesn't listen to this yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah anyway Adam how can people get a hold of you uh, you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at com, and Matt you can get a hold of me at 778-847-2854 or at Matt at com. and the nonpartisan line yeah info at com. And another thing we'll just mention quickly is if you haven't liked our Facebook page, uh, please do. We're going to be updating the podcasts on the page. We're trying to engage people. So if you have an idea for a show, feel free to share it on our Facebook page. Um, and keep the reviews coming. We love to read them. And uh, again, they, they do help our standing on iTunes and, and Google Play. So we really appreciate that. And um, yeah, have a great week. Yeah, speak to you guys soon. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. This podcast is sponsored by Common Ground Consulting. Are you developing in the Lower Mainland? 
Common Ground Consulting is a development management and consulting company with experience in single-family, townhouses, multifamily, and commercial developments. What I love about Common Ground, Adam, is they manage the whole development process, from due diligence and feasibility reports for initial purchase of land, to completing rezoning, development permits, and building permits. They streamline the whole process with strong relationships with sub-consultants and municipalities and a deep understanding of all city requirements. Common Ground Consulting. Feasibility and efficiency prioritized every step of the way. Learn more at commonground-consulting.com or 604-807-6419. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 